0: All right. Welcome to this episode of Chats with Gigi. I'm Gigi Diaz and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Jennifer Bria. She is the writer and producer of a movie called Unrest that we're going to, I guess, uh, break down in just a few moments. First of all, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. How are you feeling today?
1: Um, I'm doing okay. It's a, it's a pretty good day um, as things go. Thanks for for asking.
0: Let's see if we can try to unpackage this incredible film. I cannot begin to put into words everything that I felt while I was watching. So Unrest is a documentary that you wrote and you produced and directed yourself and it's about M.E. This is uh, something that you've suffered from for many years. First of all, I want to thank you for sharing your story and I want to congratulate you on the fact that this film has made it to the shortlist for an Oscar nomination. Thank you so much. We
1: are hoping for a nomination but it's, um, it's been an incredible journey and I'm still totally amazed that um, we've come this far given where everything started from.
0: Talking about the beginning, can you explain for those of us that are not familiar with Emmy what exactly is uh, this disease? And then walk us through your first experiences and how this manifested for you.
1: So I was a graduate student um, doing a PhD and one day I had this really high fever and I thought it was just the flu, and um, you know I was sick for about 10 days with 104.7 degree fever, and when the fever broke, um, I started feeling better, but then when I tried to get up out of bed, I you know, walked to the bathroom and walked straight into the door frame, and I was so dizzy that I couldn't leave my house for um, the next several weeks, and over the course of about a year and a half, I got better, but then I kept, you know every time I would get an infection, I would just end up being bad right in. And so I kept going to the doctor and saying, you know, I think something's wrong with my immune system. And because my lab results came back normal, um, they kept telling me at first that nothing was wrong, and finally that I was just stressed or depressed or that it was all in my head. Um, and that's really when I started to film myself because I had no idea what was happening to me, but I knew that something was deeply, deeply wrong. And you know, this is a disease that is often triggered by an infection. And what is happening in, in our bodies is that for some reason, and we don't know why yet, but we lose the ability to make energy. So it means our immune system doesn't work, it means that our brain doesn't work the way that it used to, and our, our nervous system, and, and so I was actually, without knowing it, constantly um, pushing myself past this new kind of metabolic limit that I had where I could feel relatively normal if I stayed within that limit, but if I went past it, I would crash and end up bedridden for sometimes weeks or even months. Um, you know, with days where um, I was so weak that I wouldn't even be able to lift my head.
0: I can't imagine what it feels like. I mean, to be bedridden for days and days at a time and then to go to a doctor and tell them, this is what I feel, this is what I'm going through. You went through several different physicians and to just have it all attributed to stress over your finals. What was that feeling like?
1: It was really frustrating. I mean, at first I thought, well, maybe I, the stress thing didn't make sense, but, um, but, Maybe I, you know, maybe this is just something like a fluke and it'll, and it'll go away and I'll be fine. And, and I think as it, it was really frustrating as I was getting worse and worse to sort of not be believed, to be, be living with one reality, you know, behind closed doors um, when no one could see me um, and then go to my doctor and say, you know, this is what's happening and have him not believe me. I, I, the, the, the challenge for doctors is that, you know, this disease is not taught in most medical schools. And so they haven't even been given the tools that they need to be able to diagnose it um, properly, and so when a patient comes into them with, with these symptoms, which are actually very, you know, uh, easy to recognize, they end up um, not being able to categorize that patient, and I think oftentimes when doctors can't diagnose a patient, they can, without meaning to, start to blame them and, and really, you know, kind of put things into the psychological category, when in reality they're dealing with a really serious disease that is just you know, unable to be diagnosed.
0: After so many years in bed and going through uh, this experience where doctors are pretty much saying, you know, this is all in your head, despite the fact that you went through several infections, you had to take medication for them. You had, you know, you you were manifesting these very intense symptoms. What kept you going? What was the thing that every morning when you woke up and you felt this terrible, you said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to keep going. Um, What kept you motivated? What kept you sane? I think it was
1: a few things. It was one, you know, going online and realizing that I wasn't alone and finding this community of, you know, thousands of people. Um, you know, there are millions of people around the world who have this disease, but thousands of them online who are supporting each other. And I think it was really finding that community and also understanding that I didn't have a rare disease. This wasn't just a fluke, but that um, what I was living with was something that, you know, other people were sharing, that they had that experience as well. And I, and I also, for me, you know, every day, it was really my husband. He um, was someone who, you know, always believed in me and um, in these moments when I, you know, would lose the ability to read or write or think or speak and, and wondered what kind of life I could have if I was never able to leave my bed. He really stood by me and, you know, helped me get through those moments when I thought I might lose hope. Um, And so I think having that support was was really
0: crucial. One of the things I really enjoyed about this film, Jennifer, is that it is so raw and it is so real and it is so unfiltered when it comes to to the emotions that both of you have gone through in this transition. One of them is a breakdown that you have because you felt like you were holding your husband Omar back from his own life because of your disease and him having to be your caregiver. It was, it, it brought me to tears when I watched you go through that. Can you talk to me about that moment and how you guys got past it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's one thing to become sick yourself and to be going through this horrible experience, but then to feel like here's this person who's healthy, who could be out, you know, traveling, living his life, doing all of these things, to feel like I was bringing him into this experience. I was making him homebound, too. I think that was really the hardest part. You know, I felt many days like I could handle it, but to watch the the person I love most in the world um, you know, going through it with me, I think that was really hard, and so I felt a lot of guilt about the ways that him being a caregiver to me might diminish you know his chances of fulfilling his dreams. But you know for him, you know he would often sort of say like you know i'm i 'm here with you because there's no one else in the world that I you know want to be with, and i, I can 't just go and live a different life like this is a life that we've chosen to live together.' And so it was incredibly hard, but um, I feel really lucky to be able to confront this, you know, not alone and to have um, a partner. And there are so many partners who, you know, so many patients who don't have that, either because they, they got sick when they were young or the partner leaves them, which I think often happens. And I think it happens in part because of the disbelief. Um, there's a, you know, a family that I follow in the film where, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a patient named Lee Ray, her husband leaves her. And, 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 you know, a part of it is that when you have, you know, 15 doctors saying it's all in your head, at a certain point, it becomes hard to know who to believe. And so I think that that is, you know, a real challenge that a lot of people face where they don't get the family support that they need because um, their their family family members may not really understand what they're going through and how to support them.
0: I, I can't imagine. And and for those people that do believe uh, their family members, for those caregivers out there, it's still a difficult process. What message would you have for them when things get really hard? When when the episodes are at their worst, and these caregivers are giving so much of themselves to support their loved ones, what message do you have for them to strengthen them?
1: Yeah, well, I I would say that it's on a question of belief in the sense that there's sort of you know a huge amount of scientific evidence that explains all of the symptoms that your loved one is experiencing. So the science is out there, and what it really is going to take is time for it to be translated into medical practice. And so, you know, even if your doctor is saying, you know, um, nothing's wrong with your loved one or it's, you know, quote, in her, in her head, um, they're actually wrong. And, and it's simply that they haven't gotten the retraining that they need to get in order to be able to adequately recognize and um, diagnose and treat, and treat the disease, and so I think in terms of advice, I would say you know it's so hard to know what someone else is experiencing unless you're in their shoes. And if you can't be in their shoes, the only way to know is to really listen and attach to, to them, and believe them, and to to take take at, you know, take what they're saying as, as um, in terms of their experience and, and and honor that. And I think for caregivers who are going through a tough time, it's um, really important to find other people who are sharing your experience to connect with other caregivers and to also create space for yourself to you know get out of the house and 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 and, and take time away to um, you know of put your oxygen mask on first and to to really nurture yourself
0: so feeling the way that you felt you said that you were inspired to pick up the camera and to document what you were going through partially because a lot of the doctors didn't believe what was going on they didn't understand it did you at any point when you were documenting uh, your experiences with emmy think that you were going to create a documentary did you ever did you ever have that in the back of your mind or was it just sort of like a therapeutic thing for you
1: I think when I first picked up my camera, it was really just the space to process that fear and that pain and anger when I didn't know what was going on and I had no idea what was happening to me. And I started recording myself because I lost the ability to read or write. So in those first two years, I you know if I tried to write like a sentence of an email, I would pass out for the next four hours. And I was someone who had always kept a journal. I was a writer and um, would write in order to understand what I was thinking and what I was experiencing. And so when I lost the ability to write, I started to record myself, Um, and it was really just, you know, as you said, therapeutic in the beginning, and I think it really was going online and realizing that there were people, mainly women, who had gotten sick in the 80s and 90s when they were my age, you know, young, like in their 20s or 30s, and that, um, you know, 20, 30 years later, they were still homebound and bedridden. And their research hadn't been done, and the investments hadn't been made. And I think that's when I realized I had to, you know, not just tell my own story to myself, but actually go and make a documentary film. And that was when I started to conceive of what had happened to us as a social justice issue.
0: And then fast forward from, from that moment when you start documenting, going through everything with your husband, the doctors, one day there's a breakthrough. And and in, in, in two days after that, you're walking. Talk to me about that first feeling of being able to get up out of your bed. And then talk to me about what happened afterwards.
1: So I am um, really lucky in that I was able to find a specialist who eventually diagnosed me um, with ME. And uh, one of the treatments that can help some patients um, are antiviral drugs. And I happen to be a very good responder. So I started taking this new medication, and I started feeling a lot better within a, the course of a few days. And suddenly, I was no longer bedridden. I was able to actually get out of bed um, and walk, you know, around my house or around my backyard and do more things. And it's that feeling of like, oh my God, I have my body back again, and I can use it, right? And so, um, <laughs> I ended up going out um, to my reunion. It was my tenth college reunion. And um, was there and felt, you know, so excited to be there. And just with the the intensity of the noise and um, the crowd and all of that sensory stimulation, I was there for twenty minutes and I just collapsed. And you know what I didn't realize is that the the treatment helped to kind of raise the floor, mm-hmm. so I had more capacity. But it's it's sort of, it's like that rubber band snapping back, like even even though I was feeling better, I still had a limit, and it was invisible to me. And when I went past that limit, I crashed really, really, really hard. And that was a, a very hard lesson to learn in the early days, you know, how to pace myself and how to learn how to live within these new limits. Because as I was saying earlier, I mean, this really is a mitochondrial disease, and so when you... Um, are when you are kind of staying within your limit, I, um, I describe it as being like a battery that only ever charges to like 20 or 30%. Wow. So as long as I'm only using that much energy, um, I can feel relatively normal. But if I try to ask my body more than I have, um, all of my symptoms get worse. And it took a long time to really understand you know, how to use less than I have in order to be able to save something.
0: So you mentioned that in the process of, of recording yourself and then really connecting with other uh, people over the Internet that are, that were going through what you were going through, you realized that this issue with ME is not just a medical one, it's a social one. Uh, you just mentioned that. and And part of the reasons why unrest is so incredible as a film is that it also created a global movement called Time for Unrest. Talk to me about that and how it makes you feel that something that was... So terrible to go through that—that that you're still living with—can have such a positive outcome.
1: So a large part of why I made the film, and it really was—I think—in addition to my husband and the community, the the the, the storytelling and, and the the filmmaking that really saved my life and brought me through this. And um, I made the film in part because there was no story out there. Like when you're going through the most painful experience of your life, to have. Um, no story, right? Meaning that I didn't know about this disease before I got it. I hadn't seen films. I hadn't read books. I hadn't really read reporting on it, and mm-hmm. and so it was it was like there was no nothing out there. And so I told a story that I wanted to hear, that I needed when I first got sick. And in doing so, it's really um, started to create a movement of all of these people who were previously isolated and maybe weren't connected to each other are now getting connected in local communities and online. Um, and we are really trying to grow a movement of patients, of caregivers, of allies, of doctors, of scientists to find a cure. And that means um, you know, uh, uh, going out there and doing the medical education and putting um, more pressure on Congress and on the NIH, National Institutes of Health, um, to fund this disease at parity with other diseases that are similarly disabling. So for decades, we've only received about $6 million a year from the NIH. And um, if you look at other diseases like MS or lupus or HIV that are similarly disabling and similarly prevalent, we should actually be getting $250 million a year. That, that's what parity would be. so That's really the fight that we're trying to kind of mobilize for. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is a treatable disease. I think that we will find a cure, um, but we have to put the investment in so we can grow the research field, um, and, and really understand what is causing us and how to treat it.
0: Jennifer, today the film Unrest, which was inspired by this terrible experience that you've lived, is on the shortlist for an Oscar nomination. It has created a global movement, bringing attention to over 17 million others that have suffered what you've gone through. What's next for you? So
1: I want to keep telling stories um, and making, making films. So that's what I'm going to keep doing. And um, I'm going to keep working and trying to grow this movement.
0: I think that's amazing. I I love to see it, and it is so inspiring how you have created something that can be so overcoming and so terrible for others into something that is strengthening for absolutely all of us and that you're creating such a big difference. Thank you so much for joining me today on Chats with Gigi. Thank you so much for having me. Jennifer Brea is the writer, director, and producer of the film Unrest. Thank you for sharing your story. I am sure Unrest is going to make it to the uh, Oscar nominations to the final five And you can catch Unrest as it premieres on PBS on the show Independent Lens this Monday, January 8th. Check your local listings. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Chat with Gigi. Don't forget to follow on all social media platforms at Gigi Diaz Live to be kept up to date of upcoming episodes. Chat with you soon.